0: A time of trouble is coming on our world such as we have never seen before. A time of trouble that will unleash terrible catastrophe and be relentless in its fury. Why do Christians who know this face it with such confidence? What is the secret of surviving the coming crisis?
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the end of the End of Time series. My name is Charissa, and what a wonderful journey we have had together over the last few weeks studying the Bible and this very relevant topic on the end of time. And whether you're joining us on Radio, Faith FM Radio, or you're watching our YouTube channel or Facebook page, we are so thrilled that you are back with us for the final night tonight. And if you've missed any presentations, please know they're all going up on our website. They'll stay up on our YouTube channel channel and Facebook page so you can go back and watch them. And while I'm there, I just want to encourage you, if you haven't already, subscribe to our uh, YouTube channel, hit the bell and subscribe to our Facebook page. Whatever you do, you know what it is, so that you do not miss any future programs that come from the End.Digital. Before we continue with tonight's presentation, I do want to remind you that after the presentation, we will have an opportunity to feed your questions through to Lyle. So make use of the comments, uh, comments. section if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, and then we will put them to him after the presentation. So let's sit back now and listen as Lyle presents on Surviving the End.
0: All prophets will arise and deceive many. Nation will rise against nation. There will be droughts, pandemics and earthquakes. When these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption. The Bible says that just before Jesus comes back, our world will be embroiled in natural, supernatural, and man-made disasters on a scale that we have never seen before. It goes like this, at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of your people, And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. That's Daniel 12, verse 1. We read last night where Jesus said, Pray that your flight may not be on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. That's Matthew 24, 20 to 22. And then we turn to Revelation, that great book at the end of the Bible that details so much about the last days. We find word picture after word picture describing truly Cataclysmic events. Try this one. I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig casts her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who shall be able to stand? That was Revelation 6, 12-17. And these are just the supernatural events. Think of the possibilities for natural and man-made disasters that we're already facing. Just yesterday, it was announced that scientists have discovered the composition of a COVID variant that could exist 600 times more lethal than the Delta variant. What would happen if that one formed itself and then let go in the community? Could humanity survive it at all? Is there an immune system or vaccine anywhere on the planet strong enough to combat such a thing? But really, when we try to think about all these things, who can we really trust? It feels like the experts are constantly changing their opinions. Think about it. A few years ago, we were told Brexit would never happen. And then it did. The ex- experts told us there was a 99% chance Trump would lose his, uh, his first election, and he won it. Then it was ScoMo's turn. He faced an election that the pundits and the wiseheads told us would be a landslide for the opposition, and that didn't happen. And, of course, all this was because of foreign meddling the Russians were to blame or some other foreign power, except after years of research and wasted money, we found out they weren't. Then Trump told us that the COVID virus originated in the Wuhan lab, and that was laughter scorn until Biden told us the same thing, and we believed it. Then we had the masks. Do wear masks. Don't wear masks. Then three months later, back to wearing masks again. Lockdowns were good. Then lockdowns were xenophobic, and then they were good again. But some of the politicians who push for lockdowns don't seem to see the necessity of lockdowns as they try, uh, so as they try and travel freely and with no and with impunity. So do they even believe their own research? The next thing we were hit with was that everything we had been taught in science through the expensive twelve plus however many years of the education we received, was entirely wrong. We'd been taught the scientific method, which was based around what was observable, testable and repeatable. It made sense and it gave us a sense of security. We could understand our world because of the empirical method of the reality of science. Then we were told that was all wrong. Biology had failed. And rather than there being two observable genders, there was an infinite number of possibilities. And rather than what was observable being real, reality actually resided in your head. You could decide for yourself what was real and then force everyone else to accept it. After all, you were God. Who should should anyone be telling you what you were except yourself? I could literally go on and on. But have you ever felt less secure and more confused about what to believe in your entire life? And they haven't even mentioned the vaccine wars. Many respond to each crisis by simply emptying the supermarkets. Who would have ever thought that toilet paper could overnight become such a valuable commodity? And it doesn't change, despite the fact We all know the supermarkets won't close and that we won't be barred from going to them. People react exactly the same way every time lockdown comes with panic buying. Why do they do that? Maybe because they've learnt to distrust what they're being told. Or maybe they think that that is how they will survive the coming crisis. In the United States, of course, they take survival to another level altogether. In the last 12 months, they've swapped hoarding toilet paper... For hoarding ammunition, in 2020, gun sales spiked by 40%, with 8.5 million first-time gun buyers entering the market. Then by January this year, sales were already 80% higher than January the previous year. Ten years ago, background checks for firearm purchases in the US totaled 14.4 million. This year, they are projected to reach 45 million. Even small gun stores report buying bulk orders of 10,000 rounds and selling out every three days. Mums with strollers, grandmas and people wearing Joe Biden hats have been buying 12-gauge shotguns, not because they're super practical, but because that's all that's available. Ammunition imports from Russia, Korea, the EU are up by two hundred and twenty five per cent. Even here in Australia, our own locally no- locally made powders are scarce because there's more money in sending it to the American market that just can't get enough. Clearly, people are confused, scared, and they are stockpiling weapons like there is a zombie apocalypse on its way. Then have you heard then you have the hardcore Uh, survivalists who simply, or sometimes not so simply, go completely off-grid. These are the ones who plan to survive the final crisis as subsistence farmers shutting themselves away from the rest of the world. At the same time, they see themselves as doing good for the environment. Which brings us to the next big issue our world is dealing with, the environmental movement. As Christians, we recognise that humans have been given the management of our world for the glory of God. And what a mess we've made of it. Take just one example, plastic. Every year, we produce more weight of plastic than the entire weight of human population on the planet. Every minute, one million plastic bottles are discarded after a single use. If time were to last plastic would be the single biggest geological indicator of the anthropo- 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 Anth- Anthropocene era. Our world is literally drowning in plastic. And if you don't believe me, then simply travel to a developing country where plastic waste is not removed from site but instead just left in situ. In just 29 years from now, there will be more weight of plastic in the ocean than weight of fish in fact already our waterways have become so polluted by plastic and fish so full of plastic that every year you drink and eat around two and a half kilograms of plastic that's enough to make a fireman's helmet when i covered this story a couple of years ago people were shocked to find out they were consuming just a credit card's worth No wonder the environmental movement sees itself as the only saviour of our world and the only way for humans to survive the coming crisis. Included in this climate change debate which rages rages backwards and forwards, real estate prices continue to soar in my home state of Tasmania as climate refugees see it as a safe haven to survive and want to get in early before Australia as a whole heads down there. Now I'm no scientist, And so I'm somewhat unqualified to engage in that debate. However, I do read my Bible and it teaches that climate change, whether natural, unnatural or supernatural, is something we should all expect. So why should we be surprised? Now, whether you are trying to figure out the pandemic, buying guns, moving to the bush, campaigning for climate change or immigrating to Tasmania, our world has become focused on methods for surviving the coming crisis. But of course, we shouldn't discount the good that is happening as well. It's great to live in the country, be more self-sufficient and grow your own food. This is a dream lifestyle for many people, myself included. Not only will your physical health be better, but your mental and spiritual health will be better as well. It's fantastic to reduce pollution, recycle more, use less plastic, reduce your carbon footprint. And if you want to move to Tasmania, it's a great place. I grew up there. So go for it. And as far as the pandemic goes, all the methods put forward have a level of effectiveness and none of us want to catch it. So these are all things we can, we should do if we can. However, when I read what my Bible says about the end of time, none of them will be enough for us to survive the final crisis. They will certainly dramatically ease the impact of the initial crisis. Some of what is coming. But you will need far more than these contingency plans to make it through. Consider the seven last plagues for a moment. starts with a pandemic of painful sores, the rivers and oceans turning to blood, the sun scorching the earth with great heat, other portions of the earth covered by an unnatural darkness, the total religio-political collapse of the world, an earthquake in which entire mountain ranges and archipelagos vanish, storms so powerful they create hailstones the size of watermelons. Isn't it fascinating that Christians actually know all this stuff and yet are the most optimistic and hopeful people on the planet? Why is it, as Christians, when we know more detail about the future disasters coming on this earth, that we can have so much confidence and faith in our ability to survive? Is it because we have better stockpiles of toilet paper than anyone else? Or better off-grid skills? Of course not. We all know those items won't get us through what's coming. And so what will? Well, the Bible does describe exactly how we can survive the end of time. In fact, there's a whole chapter dedicated to it. It's found in Psalms 91. It would be well worth memorizing. But here's a few highlights for you. He that lives in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the terrible disease. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall trust. His truth shall be your shield. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow or bullet that flies by day, nor for the pandemic that walks in the darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but no plague shall come near you. Only with your eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. That's Psalms 91. Clearly, the place to be hiding when all this happens is under the shadow of the Almighty. And the good thing is we have seen how God has done this in the past. Look how he protected Noah or the Israelites in the wilderness. These people went through some torrid experiences, but God never left their side. Then I think of the three worthies in the fiery furnace. That wouldn't have been fun. But did God abandon them? No. He came and stood right there with them. Paul lists a long stream of trials that he faced and yet was never abandoned by God. And God will never desert us either. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Tonight, Sharissa and I will share with you how to hide under the shadow of the Almighty and the secret to surviving the end of time.
1: What a f- Subject to finish on.
0: <laughs> yeah, I couldn't pick a better one. This oh, is definitely. This is, uh, is going to be amazing.
1: This is epic. Look, if you would like to obtain tonight's free offer, as you know throughout the series, we have a free offer connected with each presentation. And tonight, it's this one right here Bridge to a Satisfying Life. And so, if you would like to obtain tonight's uh, free offer, simply text the word life the number on your screen or for those on radio, 0428 And also, if you'd like to chat with someone about tonight's presentation, simply text the word chat to the same number 0428
0: Oh, well, I understand you've having, been having a wonderful time, Sharissa, chatting with all kinds of people have that have been calling
1: through. I have had some good chats, That's really amazing. good chats, yeah. and uh, we, we love it.
0: We we love to hear from you as our listeners and our watchers, so please do get in contact with us. Uh, We'd love to hear from you.
1: Absolutely. Well, Lyle, maybe we should, before we unpack what you've got in the Bible for us tonight. Some good questions, I'm sure, have come up.
0: Oh, yes. Some good questions came uh, through from last night. Yeah.
1: So just just a few quick ones for you here. These came in the back end. Uh, Some of them came in the back end of our Facebook page uh, or they came after the broadcast. So I can't throw them on the screen. But here's one from Galen. She's been watching us on Facebook. Did Adam and Eve observe the seventh day Sabbath in their time?
0: Yes. The answer is found in Genesis chapter 2. And you can read it right there in the first three verses. So let me just head over there, Genesis 2, 1 to 3. And you'll notice the language the Bible uses. In verse 2, on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. He rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. God blessed the Sabbath day and he sanctified it. Now, the word sanctified simply means to set apart for a holy use. In other words, the Sabbath was created to be used. And the only people here on this earth to use the Sabbath was Adam and Eve. Now, the Bible goes on to talk about how that in uh, uh, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So God did not design human beings to be idle. God designed human beings to be active and to be doing things and to be creative in expressing the creativity that God had given to them. And he gave them one day a week that he set apart for a holy use. So yes, they kept it in the Garden of Eden.
1: All right. Here's another one. This one's from Emily. She's watching us on YouTube tonight. Great to have you here. She says, good evening, Lyle. My question is, do you think the Sabbath is for the Jews and for us Gentiles we rest on Sunday because Jesus was resurrected on Sunday?
0: It's kind of a nice thought, except that there is nothing in the Bible to give you any kind of indication to do that. In fact, Jesus has given us a memorial of the resurrection. We're going to talk about it later on this evening. But if you go to Romans chapter six, this is the memorial of the resurrection that Jesus gave us. He did not, he nowhere, nowhere does God ask us to worship on Sunday in honor of the resurrection. That simply does not exist in scripture. So if you're going to be true to scripture, then no. But you'll find here in Romans chapter six, verse three. uh, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father, even so we also should walk in a new life. Jesus gave us baptism as a memorial of his death, his burial and his resurrection. So that's the one for the resurrection. The one for creation, of course, is the Sabbath.
1: All right. And this one is, a, is kind of connected. It can kind of run on from it. But Jodie has been watching us on Facebook too. And she put this in after the live stream finished yesterday. She asks, so what does one do when all churches worship on Sundays except Seventh-day Adventists? Are you guys Seventh-day Adventists? Yeah,
0: I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. That's why I go to church on Saturday. I think it's fantastic. It's the best thing ever. Um, Yeah, for sure.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, and last one here from Galen, what do you mean when you talk about Sabbath reform? Can you please explain?
0: I don't know that I don't remember using the word Sabbath reform. I think that there was, I think the uh, think tank in the UK from memory used that particular language. And and basically what they were saying was this, that Christianity has lost the concept of the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a time hundred years ago, maybe 150 years ago, when universally Christians would not do secular work on uh, either Sunday or Saturday, depending on which day they kept. And so they would not, you know, this was a day of worship, it was a day of community, uh, it was a day of family. Now it's become a day for Christians where Christians will go to church in the morning or the evening, but that's the only time they actually experience a Sabbath, and so uh, the idea then is to get back to what we had, you know, 150 years ago where people would put aside, you know, all of their work, they put aside, they'd even put aside their sports.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, you've got stories of, of, of Olympians that refused to race on Sunday because that was the day that they honoured as the Sabbath day. Uh, these, these kinds of things used to happen in the past, but Christianity has lost it and they've lost something incredibly special in losing it. And, uh, you know, the Theos organisation in, in the UK, that was definitely what they were talking about. We need to get back to it.
1: All right, Lyle, I think we need to learn how to survive in the All
0: right. <laughs> All right. To understand how to survive what's coming on this earth, we first need to understand why we exist.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In fact, I was on Facebook Marketplace today for a few minutes and I joined a marketplace group and they had this little question, you know, what suburb are you in? Because it was like selling stuff and I'm typed in my suburb was it. And then the next question was, what is the meaning of life? And they were just <laughs> trying to, you know, filter out bots, I guess. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: And uh, so what is the meaning of life? Let's find the answer that I gave to Facebook Marketplace this afternoon. Revelation chapter 3, let's head over there. Actually, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. If you could read that one for us.
1: Sure. The Bible says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created.
0: Okay, so the Bible says that we were created for what purpose?
1: God's pleasure.
0: God's pleasure. Exactly. We're created for God's pleasure. How do you get pleasure from a person? You, know, you, get Relation, a certain...
1: you need to have a relationship. Exactly,
0: exactly. You have been to a wax museum? No. Me either. <laughs> it's like, why? Yeah. You know, I can go there and stand and look at people. Yeah. That's pretty boring. I would much rather, you know, go to, you know, visit Justin and yourself and sit down and have a meal together because then we could actually have a relationship and have a friendship together. That would be way more interesting. Now, for those of you who enjoy wax museums, <laughs> go for it. It's just not my thing. Yeah. And even for those people who enjoy wax museums, you can only enjoy them for...
1: Well, you need to share it with someone. A
0: couple of hours, you know. And the the big enjoyment is, you know, going there and what, taking a selfie with all these famous people, right, and sharing it with somebody who's actually alive that you have a relationship with. Correct. God did not create a wax museum. God created people. And the way you get pleasure from people is through a relationship. That is the meaning for life. Mm, The reason we exist is to be the friend of God. That is why God created us.
1: How can you prove that, Lyle?
0: Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20.
1: Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will share a meal with him and he with me.
0: Yes. In the Old English says it says I'll have supper. A meal is a more accurate terminology. You know, this is is what I love about the Bible and it's what I love about God because uh, God speaks the international language of food. (laughs) Have you ever noticed how food is an intellectual language? You can go anywhere on the planet. You can go to any culture, any people group, any language group. You can go absolutely anywhere. And when people want to draw close together in a close, personal, intimate relationship and build community together, food is always at the centre of it. Yeah, you know, Come to my place for a meal. Let's go out for a meal. Let's have a fellowship lunch. Whatever it might be, food is at the center of relationships. And this is what God says. God says, look, I stand at the door of your heart, of your mind. I want to come in. And if I come in, this is the kind of relationship that I want to have with you. That's why we exist. It's powerful. Yes. Okay. So we exist to be the friend of God, but a problem has arisen. And that problem is going to bring about the final crisis that we, need to under, that we need to survive. And so if we're going to understand how to survive the final crisis, we need to have an understanding of the problem that is creating the final crisis.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So um, why don't we skip down here a little bit? Yeah. Let's go to Romans chapter 3 and verse 23.
1: Here the Bible, Then we're going to come
0: back and look at some other verses.
1: Okay. Here the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God.
0: Okay. So the Bible says everyone has sinned,
1: mm-hmm.
0: everyone has come short of the glory of God. All right. Then what does it say? In, in chapter 6 and verse 23.
1: In chapter 6 it says, For the wages of sin is death.
0: Okay. So the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then it says that everyone who sins, the result is going to be death. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You see, sin is a virus far more pernicious than any COVID pandemic that has or any other pandemic that has ever existed. It's a virus that causes pain, suffering, heartache, misery, injustice, all of the worst of the worst things that we see in our world. That's what sin causes. And so God looks at that and he's like, okay, we need to get rid of sin. The problem is that sin lives in us. And if God is going to get rid of sin, then the only way to get rid of sin is to get rid of us because we are infected with it. So then God has to, and of course we were created to be the friend of God for eternity, so he needs to have a solution for this. So I'm going to share a story and then we'll read some Bible passages. It's an illustration. Here's how it goes. Long time ago. There was a governor who was placed over a certain province that had a major problem with theft. So he decided he'd do something to solve the issue and he introduced mandatory sentencing. Anyone who is caught stealing, doesn't matter whether it's big or small, 40 lashes. Now, 40 lashes could almost kill a person. Sometimes it did. But this was back in the day when penalties were harsh. Sounded like a good law, a good solution, except that the very first person ever to be caught stealing was his very elderly mother. And she was caught red-handed. So you can imagine how this just gripped the interest of the entire community. They wanted to know what kind of a governor they had. Was this governor, you know, somebody who was pliable and nepotistic and who would you know, let his mother off the hook but send everybody else for the 40 lashes? Or was he somebody who would stand by his law? But if he stood by his law, then was he somebody so heartless and cold and cruel that he would kill his own mother just to maintain a law that he'd made and support his own ego? You can see how it gripped everybody's attention. They all turned up on the day that the sentence was to be carried out. They all gathered in the town square because that's how things were done back in the day. The scaffold was there. The elderly lady was led out. The charges were let out, were read out. Uh, the verdict was read out. And as his mother was being led forward, the judge stepped forward. And he took off his coat. And then he took off his shirt. And he said, Tie me to the scaffold. I'll take it for her. Now, when the governor did that, and all his illustrations are imperfect of what Jesus did, but when the governor did that, he did not back down from his law by the slightest millimeter. Not only that, but he paid the penalty of that law. And so he was 100% just The law was fulfilled. At the same time, he was 100% merciful. He spared the life of his elderly mother. That's what Jesus did for us. And that's why God had to die. You see, if the governor had stood there and said to one of his soldiers, "You you, you over there, you know, come over here, you take it for her. Would that have been just? Would that have been fair? No, we all understand that. Only the one who made the law could die for the law. And Jesus died for the Lord. Let's read about what that does for us. Let's read about uh, from Romans chapter 5 and verse 6.
1: For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly.
0: Wow. The Bible says we were weak, we were out strength, and Jesus died for us.
1: Mm.
0: Next verse, verse 8.
1: Verse 8, just a couple down, says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us.
0: Okay, so it, Paul begins and he, begins, he starts off kind of nice. is like, while you were weak, Jesus died for you. Then he raises the bar. While you were actually, you, know, you weren't just weak, you guys were sinners and Jesus died for you. Then he raises it one step further. Next verse, verse 10.
1: For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life.
0: Wow, so Jesus, (laughs) Jesus, the the Bible comes to us and says, you know, you guys were weak and so Jesus died for you. Then it says, actually, in reality, you were sinners. Okay, that's bad enough. All right, let let me just lay it out how it is. You were the enemies of God. You were in opposition to God and God came, Jesus came and died for his enemies. That's a lot of love. This was different from the governor's mother's story in which he died for his mother, who we would expect him to love. No, this was somebody who died for their most avowed enemies because when we sin, we set ourselves up as being the enemies of God. Mm. All right, so we're starting to unpack this. Yes, we've got, a few, we've got a few principles under our belt. First of all, this is what we find. We were created to be the friend of God, for eternity, That's the reason for our existence. Then we find we've all sinned. And so that's a problem because now that relationship with God, it's gone. Mm-hmm. It's over. That's been broken and God can't have that anymore. So God comes up with a solution and his solution is to give his life in our place. All right, we need to find out how we actually tap into that so that we can find out how to survive what's coming on on our world. But before we do, let's take
1: some questions. Sure. All right. Let's check them here because they are building up. All right, some about tonight's presentation before, and this is from Enhiki, and he is watching us on YouTube tonight. It's great to have you here. He's asking, if the world is ending, why should I take care of the environment?
0: Okay, so it's a little bit like this. Think about this. Uh, If uh, Let's say you lend me your car, all right? Uh, Do I have a right to go and, you know, Take your nice, bright, shiny Camry and just drive it through the bush and get all kinds of dents and scratches and no. beat it up. <laughs> no, no, no. no you really <laughs> likes her car. <laughs> okay, I don't have that right. Why? It's not mine.
1: Yeah.
0: It doesn't belong to me. But what about if you came to me and said, you can borrow this car for the next month. At the end of the month, I'm selling it to or I'm giving it to uh, a wrecking yard and they're going to you know pull it apart for pieces. Mm-hmm. Do I then have the right to take it through the bush and to beat it up and scratch it and treat it however I want? Yes. No. Oh. Still not my car.
1: Oh, okay. Well, if
0: it's... Okay, yep. No. Yes, you see, it's still not my car. (laughs) Because it is not my car, I never have the right to mistreat it, regardless of what the future holds for that car. And because this is God's world, we never have the right to mistreat it Regardless of what the future is for this world, God has entrusted it into our care to keep it in the best possible condition for his glory and Mm honour. And, you know, our world is an amazing place. Our natural environment, everything around us speaks and preaches every day. It is God's second book reaching out to humanity about his character, about his love, about his creativity. It is lavish. Creation is lavish and extravagant, way beyond the requirements, infinitely beyond the requirements of the evolutionary process. Why? Because God is creative and he gets excited over creativity and he loves those things. Why would we go and destroy God's second book if we wouldn't destroy this one? Because the reality is we won't need this one when Jesus comes back. So if we won't destroy this one, then neither should we do, should we destroy the one that uh, is our natural environment.
1: All right. I just got a message here from someone saying they're not going to lend their car to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, you can lend it to Charissa. Just don't lend it to me.
1: (laughs) All right. Um, So you actually answered another person's comment there, which was, are we not called to be stewards of this world? So we should be mindful. So you've answered that. Absolutely. All right.
0: Absolutely.
1: Here is another question. Uh, this one is from Sparrow watching us on Facebook. She's are we going back- a question
0: Sparrow every night?
1: She's, she's on to it. All right, here's the question. Will there be more pandemics after this COVID and Delta strain?
0: Okay, so let me just uh, read to you what the Bible says from Matthew chapter 24. And there are a number of different passages that speak about this. Um, we read there are several passages in Psalms 91 that talk about uh, pandemics and diseases and pestilences at the end of time. Um, let's go here to, and of course, you've got one of them in the seven last plagues.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, You've got a massive pandemic right there. So yes, uh, COVID is not the end, don't worry. (laughs) But then again, you know, everybody gets freaked out because like, oh, the end of the world has come because of COVID and what happens if there's another one? And Christians are like, yeah, it's all right, it's all good, you know, Mm -hmm. God's got this under control. Okay, where where are we reading here? Uh, Matthew 24, uh, verse 6, you will hear wars and rumours of wars. Do not be troubled. These things must come to pass. The end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilences. That's another word for pandemics. Mm-hmm. Pestilences, plural, and earthquakes in diverse places. So the Bible says there will be more than one panic, pandemic. There are more to come. Oh, right. But don't be discouraged because the good thing is that there is not just pandemics coming. There is Jesus coming.
1: Yes. That's that's the message that's we have exactly. here this evening. All right, maybe just one more now. Yes. And this one's from Brett on YouTube. Good to have you, Brett. He asks Luke seventeen, twenty-six to thirty. Does this passage imply that fire raining down from heaven on cities will also happen again? Pre-close of probation. Okay,
0: that was Luke 17.
1: Luke chapter 17. I think it's the yes. story of Sodom and Gomorrah.
0: Uh, where are we going? Um,
1: 26 to 30.
0: 26 to 30. Let's read what the Bible says. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and drowned them all. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded, but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. The answer to this question is yes. And you find it in more detail in 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's go over there. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 where it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The Bible says that when God comes back, there will be a fire devouring before him. It will be very tempestuous around about him. So, yes, this will happen at the return of Jesus Christ. Now, will it happen in the... Days leading up to the return of Christ, not necessarily because it says, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot. We know there's not going to be another flood. God has promised that. And so the Bible is saying it's going to be like this. Mm-hmm. And the primary context of that passage is about the mindset of the people who are just like, God's never coming back. We just keep going.
1: All right. that's That's a good answer. I like that one there. Let's get back to our Bible study. Let's
0: get back to where did we get up? To? Let me just uh, find were where we You were telling
1: us how we've received the benefit. Yes. Of God's amazing grace. Yes. And salvation. Why
0: we were sinners? Why we were we weak? Why were we were enemies? How do we how do we get the benefit of what Jesus has done for us? Ephesians two verse eight and nine. Uh,
1: the Bible says, "For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast."
0: Okay. So, what is a gift?
1: Something you give.
0: Okay. Uh, If I want a gift from you, can I work for that gift?
1: No.
0: No, because if I worked for the gift, then it would be payment, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: not a gift. So here's the simple reality. There's nothing that you can do that will earn you salvation. In fact, I think we have a question about that somewhere in our, Mm -hmm. uh, that came through after the program last night. There is nothing that you can do to be good enough to earn or to deserve salvation. It only takes one sin to keep you out of heaven. You know, one sin and you're infected, that's it. Yeah. Salvation is a gift and that gift is the grace of God. Uh, some people define grace as the unmerited or undeserved favour of God. I simply define it. Define it as the power by which God saves us. The Bible says, for you are saved by grace. Therefore, grace is the power by which God saves us. Mm. So here's the good news. Salvation comes as a gift, and this is what you need to be able to survive what's coming on this earth. If you have that gift of salvation, you have nothing to fear. Wow. So
1: how do we accept it? Like, how All right. do we... Yeah, we're going to go back
0: to these uh, verses that we read earlier, mm-hmm. Romans three twenty three,
1: for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God.
0: Okay, yes. So the first step there is recognize. Yes, I'm a sinner. Accept that fact. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't like to mm-hmm. uh, recognize that they're a sinner. Accept it. Next one.
1: For uh, we were read before Romans six twenty three for the wages of sin is death.
0: Okay. So along with the fact that accept it when you accept that you're a sinner. You accept that you are condemned to die. You're under the death penalty. Mm-hmm. So there's your first start. Just accept I am a sinner condemned to death. Step one. Step two. Uh,
1: you want me to go to yep. First
0: John chapter one verse first nine. 1 John
1: chapter one verse nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
0: Okay, this is really simple, guys. Accept that you are a sinner condemned to death. Confess your sins. And the Bible says Jesus will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's the sin problem gone.
1: Mm.
0: That's second step. Step three, last one. That's uh, Romans 6, verse 16.
1: Sure. Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are.
0: Okay. So step one, recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Step two, confess your sins to Jesus Christ and he will take them away. Step three, surrender, yield, Give yourself to Jesus Christ. Become a servant of God. Those are the three simple things that you need to do. And when you do those three simple things right there, you are covered by the blood of Jesus and Jesus will be with you there to take you through the final crisis. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you.
1: I love this, Lyle, because it's so simple, the way yes. you just let the Bible speak. It's so simple. And uh, if you would like to obtain tonight's free offer, which will just help you dig into the simplicity of this message, then we invite you to simply text the word LIFE to the number on your screen, 0428 83386. And this free offer can be yours. Or if you want to chat with us about tonight's subject, again, text the word CHAT to the same number and we'd love to hear from you.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Do we have time for more questions? Yeah,
1: we do have time. Is it okay if I give you a few more here? Yeah, why not? All right. So actually, you kind of already said this one, but just because it came in, is obedience to the law of God sufficient to go to heaven?
0: Yes. The only problem is you've already broken it. It's too (laughs) late. Okay. So if, if you could keep the law of God perfectly from birth until death, then it would be sufficient to go to heaven, but that's not possible for a human being. We're born with a sinful nature. And that sinful nature is going to lead us into sin every single time. And the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So it's not going to help you. (laughs) All right. Only the free gift of grace will help you.
1: All right. We have a few um, questions here about the seals and the plagues. All right. So this one is from a viewer on YouTube. And they ask, is the sixth seal the same as the great earthquake in the seven last plagues or are they different events?
0: You know, I think that's a very valid question and I would say that, they, that there is definitely a connection between the two. Mm-hmm. That's the simple answer to that. The, 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 the detailed answer would be you know, quite a long theological study but there is, there is no question that there is a connection between the two.
1: Alright, this one came to us in the back end of our Facebook page during the week and it's from Dana, he's watching us on Facebook obviously and he asked when does the great white throne judgment happen, the one that's spoken of in Revelation 20, yes. 11 to 15, he says it sounds like it's between the old earth and the new earth based on verse 11.
0: That's a really good observation I would agree with that, yes, the Bible says if you go to uh, Revelation chapter 20, well done, good, good Bible student right there Uh, Revelation 20, you find, this is the sequence that you find. Uh, Verse 7, the thousand years were expired. Satan is let free out of his presence. we know it's at the end of the thousand years. Yes. Okay. Um, They go up on the surface of the earth and they surround the city and the great white-throat judgment takes place and fire comes down from heaven and devours them. The Bible says that's the second death. And then in 21 verse 1, a new heaven and a new earth. So it's, yeah. It's just before God recreates our world. Great. Great he- to have some
1: Bibles oh, to. They're, they're,
0: they're just nailing it here.
1: Yeah, we do. All right, this one is a good one too. It is from Chris on YouTube and he's asking, what is the duration of the seven last plagues? Good question. Very good question.
0: I don't know. <laughs> the, Bible says, the Bible says in one hour, the Bible says in half an hour, uh, the Bible says in a day. All of those words there are not given to us to give a specific time period. They are given to indicate a short amount of time.
1: Mm-hmm. So we don't know. All right. I'm
0: glad it's a short amount of time and the Bible says that it will be cut short in righteousness because if it went its full allotted length of time, no one would survive.
1: Great. now we can hit the Bible study again. Yes,
0: let's do it. All right. So what do we have to do?
1: Well, we need to know what we do once we've committed our lives to Jesus.
0: Okay, is so there anything left to do? All right. Yes, there is. And that is to formalize the connection. And it's kind of like, you know, here on this, here on this earth, we have, we have celebrations to formalize certain things. And God's like, okay, you've given your life to me. Let's formalize that. Let's have a really special uh, event to formalize that. It's a little bit like uh, when you met your husband, uh, Justin, and you fell in love with each other. And you decided to formalize that relationship and you had a wedding. Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: Before COVID.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Quite a while before COVID. Well done. You got to have a pre-COVID wedding. Some people can still remember those. Yes. Uh, All right. So how does God, how does Jesus invite us to formalize the decision we've made to become his servant? Uh, Why don't you read for us John chapter 3 and verse uh, 5.
1: Jesus answered and said unto him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God.
0: So the Bible talks here about being born again. And this is a very simple thing. When we, con- when we admit that we are a sinner in need of a Saviour, when we confess our sins to Jesus Christ, uh, and we surrender our life to him, give our life to him, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is going to come into our heart, into our mind and change us, and we're going to become a different person. That's being born again. Mm-hmm. If, you, you know, if you went into your mother's womb and you came out again, you would be a different person, mm-hmm. okay, born again. And so then Jesus says, okay, you need, to be born, um, you need to be born of the Spirit. That means being born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in. And then, having experienced that, be born of water. So what does it mean to be born of water? Uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 16.
1: He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved.
0: There it is, as simple as that. What does Jesus say? He who believes and is baptized. So Jesus invites us not just to believe in him, but to formalize that connection with a very special ceremony. It's called the baptism ceremony. And it's so special... That Jesus Himself gave us an example of celebrating one of these baptismal ceremonies Himself when He was on Earth, about thirty years old. Hmm. Um, let's skip down to let's skip down to Mark chapter one and verse nine and ten.
1: And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him.
0: There you go. Yeah. Okay, so Jesus went to the Jordan River. He set us an example. You can never do anything greater than follow the example of Jesus. And the Bible says that he got baptized right there in the Jordan River. There's a couple of questions here because some people say, well, you know, what about sprinkling or pouring or your any- that kind of thing. It's not found anywhere in the Bible. Another one of those missing Bible verses that we've been talking about. There's way too many missing Bible Bible verses in Christianity. Uh, The Bible says that Jesus, uh, let me just read it here. Um, He was baptized. The word baptized there simply means immersed. He was immersed by John in the Jordan, not near it, not by it, uh, Straight away, coming up out of the water. So previously he was down in the water, He saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending on it. It's very simple.
1: Very. Yes. (laughs) All right. So, okay, is there anything else that baptism is a symbolism of? Yes,
0: because we read a passage earlier from Romans chapter 6. Yeah, we did. It it, it related to uh, one of the questions we have. Let's read this again in verse 3 and 4.
1: Romans chapter 6 says, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him.
0: And this is the symbolism of baptism. The symbolism of baptism is the new birth experience. When you are born again, you become a new person. And it's, with baptism, it's like a death You go down underneath the water. You stop breathing. You close your eyes. You know, we close people's eyes when they die, that kind of thing. Um, It's a perfect example of death. You can't be seen above the surface of the water because you're down under the water. You come back up. You start breathing. You open your eyes. It's just like resurrection. Mm. And it's symbolising, okay, the old me, the me that used to be gone, dead and buried, over. I'm making a fresh start in life right here. That's
1: powerful.
0: Absolutely. That's, that's what it symbolizes. And that's why Jesus got baptized in the way that he did, which is the only way that you find in the Bible. You get b- b- baptized in the water, not near the water.
1: Well, maybe at this point I should just check because we have some questions that are related. Let's to this. take
0: some questions and then we'll do one more um. verse.
1: All right, to so finish
0: off with at the end.
1: Here is the question from Secret Stratagems, right on topic. He's, he, they're watching on YouTube. Good to have you. So if I need to be baptised in order to be saved, isn't that works?
0: No, that's not works at all. This is, this is your love response to God. You see, it works like this. This is a really good... This is, I'm, I'm glad that this was one was raised, actually. Obedience is how we demonstrate or how, how, we, you know, how we demonstrate the fact that our life has been changed. Okay, so if we love God and if God has changed our life, we will do what, we, what God says. We don't do the works to be saved, but because we are saved. We're not saved by doing the works. But then when you turn that around and look at it from the other direction, can you be lost by doing bad works? Absolutely. And why is that? Why is it that the Bible says that we are judged by our works if we are saved by grace? The answer is that the works demonstrate where our heart is. They are a public demonstration of where our heart is at. We can't be saved by our works, but if we, if we come to God and say, yes, I will, uh, please forgive me of my sins, I give myself to you, but I'm not going to do anything you say, then that demonstrates that we haven't actually received salvation, we haven't received the, the grace of God, and we don't love God because we don't love God enough to do what He says. Mm. The works then are a demonstration of the fact that we're saved. And this is one of the things that God says. God God asks us to do lots of things once we've given our life to him. Baptism is one of them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, God asks us to keep his Ten Commandments. But this is all once we have given our lives to him and is a love response to God because of that.
1: Great answer. All right, here's another one. This is coming in straight from YouTube also. Jody is asking, what about children?
0: Good question.
1: Very good question.
0: And this is one of the reasons you, you you'll notice here in the Bible, Jesus was baptized as an adult. The prerequisites for baptism is that we need to know and understand what we're doing. God is not like one of these um, salesmen who just loves to get your signature on the bottom of a contract without reading the fine print. No, 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 no. Notice what it says uh, in Mark chapter sixteen, verse sixteen, right there. He who believes and is baptized. A baby can't believe.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But in Matthew 28, it says, go you therefore and teach all nations and then baptize them. A person should know what they're getting into and they should make the decision for themselves. And so Jesus' baptism covers for all those people who are either too young or too old or too infirm uh, to be baptized. But for the vast majority of people, why would you not want to? I mean, this is a fantastic, you've been to many baptisms, I've been to many baptisms, they're the greatest celebration ever. You know, people don't complain over Christmas. Why would you complain over baptism? You know, this is time to get together and to celebrate. Much, you know, one of the biggest celebrations you'll ever have in your life.
1: Absolutely. Uh, We have one here on a slightly different subject, but it's an important question. This is from Philip, also watching us on Facebook, and he's been regular. It's good to have you back, Philip. Who is going to preach the gospel of the 1000 years? So what's happening? Is there any gospel to be preached during the 1,000 years? That's an
0: interesting question. Let me think about that for a moment. The Bible doesn't actually say. So does that mean that the gospel message isn't going out during the 1,000 years? Well, I wouldn't say that either. So because the Bible is silent, let me share my opinion. Okay. My opinion is that we'll still keep preaching the gospel. And the reason is that we have experienced God's grace in a way that the rest of the universe has never experienced it. Mm. Imagine how they will want to know from us what was it like to experience the grace of God in your life? What was it like for God to convert you, to change you, to take you from being a life where you love to sin to being a a life where you love to obey God?
1: So you're saying we'll be preaching this in heaven?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Why would we stop? You know, we all have this amazing testimony. Why would we stop when we get to heaven? I think that's a great opportunity right there for us to just keep preaching.
1: Amen. And, and you're just, I'm just clarifying in case this is the questioner's perspective. Um, there's no one to preach to on this earth. No, no,
0: that's right. That's on right. earth, there's there's, no, there's nobody here alive on this earth. You can read that. Uh, we read that earlier in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away. That's the atmosphere with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. There's nobody left alive on earth during the thousand years.
1: Wow. That's a powerful thought. We'll be preaching it. Yeah. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's an excellent. I like that idea. All right. Time is running away on it us. Is. But uh, I guess we need to ask a very important question. That is, when should a person then be baptized?
0: Okay. So a person, this is a decision between you and God. But when you understand the basics of the gospel message, and when you have made a decision to fully commit your life to Jesus Christ, that's when a person should be baptized. And they shouldn't wait and they shouldn't delay. And sometimes I've like, oh, I'll do it next year when I can have my whole family. No, don't do it next year. Get together with your local community and have a baptism. Mm. Now, for many of you, you're going to want to spend a little bit of time and say, hey, look, I need to know the the basics of what I'm signing up for right here. That's good. And that is entirely appropriate to do so. Uh, and, and, And so you should. So get together with a pastor or a Bible worker or somebody who's good at explaining the Bible. Spend some time in the Word of God in preparation for making it a really, really special day.
1: That was almost a false ending. Yeah,
0: almost <laughs> a false ending. I'm like, I'm on the last verse. I've been cut we're, off before the last verse. We're not verse. ending yet. <laughs> All right, where are we up to? All right. Um, we should read this last verse. Okay. And we should, we should finish up. We are out of time, so let's finish up. you. Okay. The last verse is Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. And this really does answer your question there, so.
1: And now what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord.
0: I was doing an evangelistic I was involved in an evangelistic program one time where there was a woman attending who was 82 years old. She was quite frail but she was so excited to give her life to Jesus Christ. And after that program was over, we'd organised for a baptism and she was one of the people who wanted to be baptised on that day. And so she came all excited and all prepared and there was a Bible worker there who had been studying with her. They took a photo together, standing there on the path just before the baptism. And then there was a crack, an expansion joint in the concrete. She tripped over and cracked her skull on the concrete.
1: Mm.
0: Now, that's not good for an elderly person, not good at all. And so immediately the ambulance was called and when the ambulance arrived... She refused to get into the ambulance. She said, No, there is no way I'm getting into the ambulance. This is the day of my baptism. This is the <laughs> best day of my life. And nothing is going to ruin it. So eventually, the paramedics kind of had no choice. And they put her in a wheelchair. And they're like, You better baptize this lady because we need to get her to the hospital. So four of us picked up, wheelchair and all, baptized. That lady right then and there, she was determined. When I see a story like that, I just sort of stop and think. I read a passage like this. It says, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptised. If that lady can do that with the headache that she had that day, what are you waiting for? Why won't you make a decision for baptism? Why don't you talk to us? Just simply text the word chat to 0428833. Three that's our number. Simply send that word, chat through. We would love to talk to you about facilitating a baptism for you wherever you are. Send us, send us a message on Facebook or YouTube if you're somewhere else in the world and we will make it happen for you. Every time we run these programs on the N.Digital, so many people give their lives to Jesus Christ and choose to be baptised and it's one of the most exciting things that there is to be a part of. And so, if you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart right now, and you feel that conviction coming upon you, you know that's not coming from me. That's not coming from Sharissa. Because we're off somewhere else in the world looking at a camera. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. And the Holy Spirit is God. And if God is calling to your heart right now, don't hold back. Respond to God, respond to Him with your whole heart and make a decision to give your life to him, and then seal that decision with baptism.
1: That's a powerful invitation to finish on tonight. We just want to thank all of you for joining us for the last few weeks. It's been such a privilege to have this time with you each evening. And we're going to miss you. We've been seeing your messages here. You're saying you're going to miss us. We feel the same way. We'll be back. Yeah, we will be back. Later in the year. We are going to be back. So, on that note, please hit subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit the bell so you get notified when we go live and what's coming up next. Same thing with the Facebook page. We would love to continue the journey with you. Again, please remember Lyle's appeal and invitation to us there. May God bless you, and until we meet again, God bless you, stay safe, and have a good evening.
0: This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www. Dot audioverse.org.